Hi, I'm Glenn Rifkin, Managing Editor of the Corn Ferry Institute Magazine Briefings. My guest today is Angel Martinez, former CEO of Decker's Outdoor, the shoemaker responsible for such iconic brands as Ugg and Teva. It's fair to say that Martinez is a legend in the footwear industry, having been a key player in the emergence of Reebok in the 1980s and later CEO of Rockport Shoes. For the past 11 years, Martinez built Deckers into a global powerhouse, growing the company from $200 million to nearly $2 billion in sales, acquiring new brands and opening retail outlets around the world. Just 61, Martinez stepped down from the helm at Deckers earlier this year, choosing to retire when many CEOs are just getting warmed up. Knowing when to hold them and when to fold them is a tough call for business leaders, so I asked Martinez to join me to talk about his decision. Welcome, Angel Martinez, to our podcast. Um, it would be safe to say that your tenure at Decker's Outdoor was an immense success by any measure. Um, and now you've chosen to step down, and I just thought it would be great to find out you know, why you made the decision now when you could have continued probably for several more years. Well, thanks. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me, Glenn. Um, you know, I, I think that everything has uh, an appropriate timing in life. And I've always sort of been one of those people who is uh, sensitive to to that timing of things. Um, and here I had a, a candidate, a successor that I had been grooming now for the better part of four years, almost going on five. And he was just ready. Um, and, and I could see that he was ready to take the company in a direction uh, that that I really couldn't take it in, uh, meaning that um, after 11 years as CEO of a public company, uh, I would venture to say that your energy level and your aggressiveness and you know, all the things that you had when you started doing it are not quite up to speed, not quite the same. And, and I wasn't chomping at the bit. I, as you mentioned, you know, I've had a good run, and you really need someone chomping at the bit all the time for public companies to continue to to thrive and prosper. And I, I just felt that uh, my successor was, his name is Dave Powers, uh, I felt that Dave was chomping at the bit, ready to go, and why spend another couple of years with him in the wings? Uh, and given the environment today, uh, you run the risk of him being recruited uh, by someone who's looking for a CEO, ready to go CEO. So I really felt the timing was right. What makes it so hard, though, for most CEOs to step down at the right time? You've obviously got a real measured and, and uh, you know, far-sighted view of this. So many don't. Why do you think that is? Well, I, th- I think people get very ego-involved in, in the job, you know, that the job defines who they are. And I can say for myself that being CEO does not or did not define who I am. I didn't define myself by what I did as a, as a career. Um, it was incidental, uh, a big part of uh, who I was, who I am, but not all of it. What? I'm sorry. What drove you then to to the amazing success that you had? Well, I'm a competitive person. Um, I grew up as a as a distance runner and managed to run at a fairly high level. And I've always been quite competitive, so the challenge was was there. The challenge to grow Decker's brands into a $2 billion company 
uh, was a huge challenge. I mean, when I started, we were at 200 million in revenue. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that to me was, it was fun. Uh, it was challenging, exciting, stimulating in every way, you know, mentally, intellectually, and emotionally challenging. So I really felt that uh, there was always that drive to, to get to the next hill, you know, crest the next hill. Did you have a blueprint that you had set out with uh, in the early days, which most people would assume a CEO would have to have? And if so, did you, did you find you followed it pretty accurately, or did it just go all over the place unexpectedly? Well, when, we, when I started, um, the board had said that the goal was, uh, when they were recruiting me for the job, the goal was $500 million in revenue. That would be a real success as far as the board was concerned. Mm -hmm. And I knew that the, the UGG brand in particular was alone a $500 million brand. And I, I could see that very clearly in the United States. I didn't think that that would be too difficult. So in my mind, I was thinking, well, it's really a billion-dollar company, uh, and I think we'll get to $500 million in short order, and, and I think a billion is, is coming shortly after that. so And that's, in fact, what happened. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was no blueprint other than, you know, when you have a product as, as valuable in consumers' mind and as um, valid, if you will, as, as the UGG classic boot, um, you can then extend that product into a brand and then extend the brand into other products. So, um, you know, we, we really felt that that the UGG brand was under leveraged and that there were all kinds of different footwear products and other products that we could make which had the uh, qualities of the UGG uh, product, the UGG brand at their core and that consumers would find that appealing. That's, and that's what happened. And it wasn't just consumers in the U.S., it was consumers around the world. So we built it into a global enterprise. It, it was primarily a U.S. business before that. And, uh, and you, you really can't, when you're onto something like that, it's definitely a tiger by the tail. You know, you really can't uh, put arbitrary limits on what you think. You, you just have to move down that strategic path, and the sales will come. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what happened here. We were moving down a strategic path, focusing on the brand, focusing on the quality and integrity of the product, and knowing that the more people were exposed to it, the more demand we would have. Where that ends, I mean, look at Nike today, okay? So, you know, it, it has huge upside, continues to have huge upside. It just, you have to stay focused, have to stay hungry. And as I said earlier, you got to keep chomping at the bit. you got to keep, you know, driving hard in that direction of the, the future potential. Yeah, UGG was particularly interesting because there was a sense that this could be a fad and that if it ran its course, the company would be in big trouble. I know from having known you for all these years that you never believed that, that you saw a lot of growth potential in so many ways, which is what you executed against. Yeah, it was a fad in, in the same way that jeans were a fad and that the athletic footwear was a fad. You know, <laughs> comfort is not a fad. Right. You know, luxurious comfort is not a fad. You know, once people have a little more comfort, a little more luxury in their life, they're loath to give it up. Otherwise, we'd still be in caves wearing loincloths, you know what I mean? Human beings don't willingly go from comfort to discomfort. And so this, this to me, uh, this whole fad conversation became, you know, silly 
But yet a lot of people were hanging on to that until just three or four years ago. Uh, here was the company was exploding, and people were still saying, well, you know, it's, it's a fact. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. You know, so it, to me, uh, was we created something that people wanted. And, and that's the way it is with great products. You know, it fills a need that that particular product first identifies. And until people saw what an UGG boot did and what UGG products do for their, for their comfort, you know, you didn't know you needed it. And we can say that about a lot of things in our, in our closets, mm-hmm. in our uh, garages, if you will. So uh, to me, it's, uh, like I said, it's an ongoing opportunity and, and still on track for significant growth going forward. How did your leadership philosophy evolve over this time? I mean, you know, one thing to be a marketing uh, guru as you are, a genius in many people's minds, but running the show, managing big groups of people is a different ballgame. How did your leadership philosophy change? Well, you know, I don't really think it changed that much. I think I've always had the approach of, you know, collaboration is critical. Um, I, I would describe my... My leadership style is empathetic, I guess. You know? I mean, uh, I try to sort of put myself in the mind of the, the person who is in the organization who sees an opportunity and and wants to organize their lives around making it happen because it has benefits to them and their family. And so what I focused on was the idea of continuously creating opportunity for all of our employees around the world. You know? So growth does that. And when you share the success with people as we did. I mean, I think we were very generous with bonuses and, and with other incentives. Uh, and I, it motivated people to continue to strive toward the goals, the collective goals of the company. And, uh, and you know, it was never about me. I mean, I, I loved doing that, the job. But as I said, it, it, it wasn't, it didn't define who I am. It was about the opportunities that we had going forward together. And, uh, and I think people appreciate that, and I think it, it motivates them to, to strive and, and do things that they didn't think they could do. Hmm. And it's no different. Than, I mean, I used to uh, coach cross-country and track teams, uh, for, and it's no different than the way you would approach that. You, you talk to a high school kid and say, look, you have an opportunity to sort of redefine who you are um, with this activity, this sport, distance running, and it, it will change your perspective of yourself and, and it will show you that you can do things you never thought you could do. And you'll be far better off for having done it because it will inform the entire rest of your life. Well, in this particular case with Decker's brands, uh, there are people who've left the organization and have come back and said to me, you know, the time I spent at Decker's was a great opportunity for me. I want to thank you for that. It's led me to these things I'm doing now, which I didn't think I could ever have a chance to do if I hadn't been a Decker. So. And, and people have said that to me from Reebok days and from Rockport days and, and you know, all the other places. So I, that's my whole focus is to you know, create those kind of scenarios where people can all win together. Hmm. What was the toughest thing about being a CEO of a public company? Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, Unfortunately, today, what we have in many cases, and I would say in most cases, uh, we have traders, we don't have investors compared to what we used to have. And by that, I mean that um, it used to be that people uh, would really 
take the time to understand the unique set of circumstances that are driving your business, your position in the marketplace, the product lines themselves, the, the philosophy and the strategy behind product creation and marketing strategy, et cetera, et cetera. And now, there are very, very few analysts who, who can do that. Most of them are overwhelmed with far too many companies to cover, uh, not enough time to really delve into it. Uh, they spend most of their time in front of their computer screen. And, you know, it becomes something that uh, it's almost like, a, you know, cattle in a sense that <laughs> if one person utters something, then people just sort of follow right in, in line believing uh, in what is, in many cases, nonsense. Right. And it, it creates a false, uh, an absolutely false uh, dialogue, if you will, uh, of, that you end up, like, for example, Ugg is a fat. You know? Right. I spent years. I, I got to the point where I, I, the first thing I'd say in a meeting was, uh, let, let's just not even talk about that because it's obvious that it's not a fad. Mm -hmm. And if you still think it's a fad, we can have an offline conversation. I'm not going to devote any more time to it. You know, it, it, it just becomes uh, one of those um, narratives that, you know, you end up having to waste a lot of energy around. And, and that, today, it seems like there's a narrative of the quarter. And I'm not just talking about our company. I'm talking about a bunch of other companies in the same boat. It's no different than the political scenario we're, we're in now. There's, there's, instead of the substantive issues, that are uh, obligatory in understanding how to push the country forward. We spend time talking about all kinds of nonsensical stuff that has very little to do uh, with anything but the 24-hour news cycle. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, when it comes to public companies, from a financial point of view, it becomes the 24-hour news cycle. You know? Do we have a good weather? Do we have bad weather? Is there snow here? Is there warm weather there? Uh, are we wearing you know, uh, bell bottoms or are we wearing skinny jeans or and does that impact, you know, the brand? We have people who, uh, you know, think they're experts on fashion, think they're experts on, on footwear, think they're experts on whatever subject. And, and the fact is, uh, it's always way more complicated than it seems on the surface. Yeah. So you spend a lot of time having to answer questions that shouldn't be asked in the first place and trying to put out fires that should have probably never been lit. Well, you, yeah, exactly. You spend a lot of time, uh, you know, really talking about the kinds of things that are not uh, about pushing the company forward. Uh, those are the things that, you know, a deep discussion of strategy is super useful with anyone who's capable to have the conversation. So in, in the end, you, you wind up uh, looking for that. You want that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you don't just want it with your own internal people. You obviously want it with people who have a vested interest. And uh, I do lament the, the, the days uh, when analysts were those kind of people. Unfortunately, we don't have as many of those folks as we once did. Hmm. So you're only 60 years old. You're in good shape. You're 61. 61, okay. And, and you are you know, going to go play your guitar, you're going to drive your cars, you're going to ride the motorcycle, but if somebody called in a couple of years with a good offer, are you still open? Are you still recruitable? Or have you played this out and you feel like this is the end of it for you? Uh, you know, it's, it's, um, 
it's not for me um, it's not that linear and, and you know if, if, if I get excited about something if, if I see something because so many of the things that um, have fueled my career were things that I sort of saw that no one else saw and I was able to exploit the opportunity you know, and leverage that so if, if something gets me really excited and I, I can do it in a way that isn't going to compromise um, the, the, the point in life I'm at right now, which is to say, um, I'll be polite about it, but I mean, I'm in, I'm in a very low uh, bullshit tolerance mode. <laughs> so I, I, I don't have uh, that interest. Right. And so, therefore, you know, uh, if something exciting comes around, I, yeah, I might, I might jump in and, and do something, but I don't need to. Right. And, uh, if it's fun, that's an operative word. I would look at it, but for the near term, meaning the next year or so, I'm, I'm just enjoying, uh, you know, being able to do what I want to do, where I want to be, with people I want to be with. Any advice for your fellow CEOs who are grappling with those same issues? Well, I, I think um, the first thing, you know, there's a lot of talk about succession planning and, and all that. And I, I think most CEOs find that to be extremely difficult because it's a hard conversation because you are planning, you know, your own obsolescence. But I think that that's the nature of, of the business. That's the nature of the job. And uh, so I think you've got to pay very, very careful attention to the succession planning process and make sure that it's an organic and healthy process. And understand that, yes, what's going to happen at the end of the process is that you will be written out of the script. You know? Yeah. Now I know what it's like to suddenly, uh, you know, take a bullet in episode four. <laughs> or in my case, episode 24 or whatever, you know? And, and yes, you're written out of the script. You might have a, a, a reference at some point later. Who knows? You might even have an episode where you come back from the dead. Hopefully not. <laughs> but the fact is that you have to get used to the idea that that you're not the central character and that, that other people have to, you know, now push it forward. And you have to be very comfortable with that. And I think if you're too ego-involved, that's not going to work. Um, and, and, and if you're too ego-involved, you're going um, you're, you're to regret having left. And you can't, you can't do that. You really have to be excited about all the new challenges going forward, including those that have nothing to do with the career that brought you in the first place, and look forward to the kinds of new opportunities that you have to do the things in life you've wanted to do. And, uh, but you know, I, I think, I think everybody's got it in them. It's important to have advisors who maybe have been there and done that to kind of give you a sense of perspective. Yes, you know, it's all going to be fine. You know, you're not going to suddenly fall off the end of the earth. <laughs> There is life after. There is life after being CEO. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, every single possibility in the world opens up if you want that. Uh, but I do have, I, I must say, it's, it's the weight of all of the issues. It's, it's, a very, it's a very good thing not to have that on my shoulders every day. Because the stress over time is what's going to get you. You may not realize it, you may not see it, it's insidious, but over time, the stress is what will do damage. And uh, I didn't realize the stress I was under until I stopped doing that. And, and 
you know, I'm feeling pretty good not having to deal with that. Well, Angel Martinez, thank you so much for uh, talking about this with us today, and good luck with uh, with the future. Thank you. Thank All you right. That was Angel Martinez, former CEO of Decker's Outdoor. I'm Glenn Rifkin. Thank you for joining us for this Corn Ferry Institute podcast.